Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law will fight the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, and now the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, but the Radio Hall of Famer, Matt McLaren. <laughs> I love it. And it's true. It's Jam Session, the podcast version 299, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we've got a lot to dive into, man. The Cowboys taking a look at just how good this defense has been and the way that they've built this thing. We've got ESPN Cowboys insider Todd Archer with the latest from what's going on inside the star and a trip around the block with a couple of all sorts of just little interesting little tidbits that we'll get to today. But we can't do any of this without our great sponsors. And of course, Greening Law, man. As many, many of you know, and I've talked about this a gazillion times, I was injured in a car accident over a year ago. I immediately, that happened on a Saturday evening. On Monday morning, by the time I woke up, I immediately, my first phone call was to Greening Law. And I said, hey, I think I have a case. My consultation was free. They asked me some questions and they said, okay. And sure enough, you do have a case. They brought me on as a client and they've been working for me for the last 15 months. And what they do is they handle all the stuff, all the things that you don't even know about that you go through in a situation like this. If you've been hurt in a car accident, you're hit by an 18 wheeler, you've been injured on the premises of a business, you have got to call Robert Greening and the Green team at Greening Law and bring them on board and see what they can do for you. It's really not even a question, man. If you've yeah. got an incident, man, you need – and it doesn't matter whether it's like an 18-wheeler or a car accident, you know, the business, the premises, an apartment. It doesn't really matter. Um, if you're in any kind of accident like that, pick up the phone, give the green team a call, and if they take you on as a client, I'm telling you, it's your lucky day. Matt will tell you because who doesn't want somebody with a big-ass flashlight Ooh, was I supposed to say that? Big flashlight walking around showing you down. Hey, here's the road to follow. Follow me. Look at this. We'll lead you. They'll guide you. They'll hold your hand during this whole process. And it makes life a lot easier. Matt will tell you. Yeah, it does. They are. Again, we talk about it. They're your fierce legal competitor against these insurance companies. So you can focus on getting your health back and feeling renewed and getting back to the way that you were before your accident. It's fantastic. Consultation is free. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. Call them now. It's Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. So these Dallas Cowboys, you know, and it's always one of those things because we hear the they haven't played this, they haven't done that, whatever. 
to me, when you get into a five-game sample size, you start to realize that you've seen some of, to me, like a good sample size. Like five games in the NFL, you're going to play some teams that are probably not as good as we think, and you're going to play some teams that are going to wind up better than we think. But a five-game sample size is legitimate. And this is a Cowboys defense that is playing at a level that I think you start to look at and go, okay, we've seen enough from them to realize this is a very, very good, legit defense. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I I told you, to me, the only question was after they play the Rams, after they play the Eagles, in my mind, are we looking at top five defense or top ten defense? Mm-hmm. To, to me, they, they were, they're one or the other. And, you know, I thought the results of, the, of those two games would tell me. And so right now they're looking like a top five defense. But I'm still reserving the right because Philadelphia is the most complete offense that they faced. And uh, I just want to see how they perform against them. doesn't mean they suck if they have a bad game. I just want to see how they perform against them. Yeah, and you look at this. This is a Cowboys team that right now is third in the NFL in scoring defense. Only the Bills and 49ers have allowed fewer points than the Cowboys, and they're seventh overall in yards. I mean, this is a really, really good defense that the Cowboys are deploying. And so then the question becomes, and this is where it's interesting because you look at this, How all of a sudden did the Cowboys go from last year being this offensively dominant team, the number one offense in football, to being potentially a borderline top five defense in the NFL and how they built this thing? And you look at this, and they've got 20 guys on this defense that have played a minimum of 50 snaps this year. And that's, you know, 24 guys overall have taken at least one defensive snap. But of those that have actually played 50 or more snaps, out of that 20... 16 of them were Cowboys draft picks. 16 of them. And the other four were interesting little Dan Quinn, I want that guy type free agent signings. Um, I think that, uh, I think it's a combination of um, Dan Quinn really having a good feel for the pieces that he needs to run the defense. And then check this out, man. Dan Quinn having a good feel for how he wants to run the defense and that this defense has an identity and they know what they want to do and they know the types of players he needs to do it and so it's a perfect fit unlike the Mike Nolan defense where guys were like why am I standing up I'm not a 3-4 defensive end why do you have me standing up and and all this other stuff that had players questioning the the legitimacy of the scheme and I can tell you all this from covering NFL football since 1995, you know, I do this from time to time, that when players don't believe in the scheme, bro, it's not going to work. (laughs) It's just not. And it's like anything else. When you don't believe in something, it doesn't matter what's going on with it, man. It's not going to work because you don't believe in it. Yeah, and it's interesting because you look at the way that they've done this, and again, the four non-home Cowboys guys, obviously Malik Hooker, who they bring in last year, on a one-year deal. And Malik Cooker was a first-round pick. He was, I mean, you know him from Ohio State. He had had a struggling history in Indianapolis of injuries. He comes in last year, has a really solid season. They re-sign him for two years. Jaron Curse, same thing. Another guy who signs a one-year deal last year, plays out of his mind, and they end up signing him to a two-year, $10 million deal this offseason. 
They signed Dante Fowler early in the offseason on a one-year deal. And then Anthony Barr, who has played a ton for them on defense, they picked up early in training camp. And I think, what, this, maybe the first or second week of training camp because they didn't sign him until August. And all Anthony Barr has done is gone out and played 68% of the defensive snaps at linebacker. So those four free agents are guys that just fit what they want to do really well. And then what I find fascinating is their ability to draft in the last few years defensively of guys that are making plays for them. And again, the the vast majority, the bulk of what this Cowboys defense is, this is a homegrown defense. Uh, Nah, bro. I mean, um, I sent you some notes, but just about when you look at their starters, um, if you just go across the defensive line with Tank, Odigizua, um, for now, Carlos Watkins is in there, and then Darren's Armstrong. You know, three of those four are are drafted by the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, you look at the linebackers. Um, Barr is a free agent, obviously, but Vanderish and Parsons were drafted. And then the whole secondary, um, except for Curse, was drafted, bro. And so, they and, you know, here's the thing, Matt. We're not talking about all these cats are first-round picks. A lot of these third, fourth, fifth, sixth-round picks. Yeah. And when you wonder why – I'm, I'm being real here. When you wonder why every year it seems like Will McClay gets a raise and his title changes, here's why. No draft guy is perfect. So, yes, Will McClay has some busts next to his name. But he got a lot more big-time hits and a lot more hits in general uh, than a lot of other uh, draft guys. Yeah, he really does, man. And, and you look at, I mean, Sam Williams, who made a couple of plays the other day just from this most recent draft class, and then Deron Bland, who had the interception whenever that was a couple of weeks ago. You go back to, obviously, the 21 class, and you pulled Micah Parsons out of that. But then, to your point, Odigizua in the third round, Chauncey Golston, who's played 70-something snaps this year in the third round, and even and these aren't guys that are doing a lot, but still, they're contributors who have a role when you look at a guy like an Israel Mukuamu, who's played 75 snaps, Quentin Bohana, who's played almost 100 snaps. And those are guys who were sixth round picks a year ago. The draft before that, Trayvon Diggs in the second round, Neville Gallimore in the third round. And then you continue this. And we know Tristan Hill's probably out of here after this season, made a nice play the other day. You go, you look at Donovan Wilson, sixth round pick. Leighton in the first round. Dorrance Armstrong Jr., who really seems like he has blossomed under Dan Quinn, a fourth-round pick that some people had kind of written off as like, who's this guy going to be? Jordan Lewis in the third round, going all the way back to the 2017 draft. Anthony Brown in the sixth round, going back to the 2016 draft. I mean, it is amazing how they have hit over the last few drafts. And generally speaking, they're hitting on multiple players per draft, and that is where this defense has come from. No, man. And so, um, you know, one of the things Will McClay, because I've asked him about this numerous times over the years, uh, like, you know, how you do your job? Why are you good at your job? And, you know, he, oh, I'm just, nah, come on, you're good at your job. Why? And the bottom line is you'll hear him talk, and he talks about really getting to know the coaches, the assistant coaches, and really, really asking them what types of players do you want? Because why? You don't want to give a guy a dude that he doesn't want. Because why, Matt? He ain't going to play him. Yeah. Or he'll play him as a last resort. Or he'll be on his ass because eh, he gave me this guy. He doesn't do anything I like. So what you want is you want to give guys 
players that they want. I want them like this and I want them like that. And then that's what you give them. And when you do that consistently, those coaches, when you give them those guys, they have a vision for them when they show up. Like, oh, I need a guy like this. If I had a guy like this, I could use him exactly like this. And when you when your scouting department, your personnel department is giving you those types of guys, it makes it easy to fit them in and and it makes it easier for them to have success because the coach has an ex, an exact vision for what that body type, what that player can do. And it's interesting too, what what do you think contributes to a guy like a, a third round pick in a Gallimore or even like a Donovan Wilson? Dorrance Armstrong Jr. is a great example of that who has really blossomed in the last couple of years. Anthony Brown I mean, there is a core of this defense that was here well before Dan Quinn walked in. What is it do you think that he has done that has helped some of those guys that were here before that have really started to blossom in the last couple of years? Okay, some of it, I'm just, let me see how to say it. There's, there's two things, man. And I'm, I'm going to be real with you because I've, I've seen this a uh, couple levels up close recently. I saw it at DeSoto High School uh, where my dude was playing in the last couple of years. Um, I've seen it at Jackson State because I, you know, me and Dion are cool, and so he gives and he allows me to really have an, an inside view of of how he coaches and goes about things. And I'm here to tell you, man, and don't laugh at me and be like, "Well, duh, coaching matters, Matt." <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I'm I'm for real, man. No, yeah. Coaching matters. I mean, like it matters whether you have coaches. And, and when I say I'm being real, like, look at the University of Texas the last few years with these great recruiting classes, you know, top five recruiting classes almost every year, yet nobody ever gets drafted and the team can't win double-digit games on a regular basis. That's really about coaching and development. Because other schools have top five classes and they're competing for national championships all the time. And we know who those programs are. So if I go back to the Cowboys, I think they're getting really good coaching. Um, and I think Dan Quinn has really um, put a system together that guys can thrive in. And I told y'all this before. I love the fact that he attacks offenses the way offenses attack defenses. Like he looks for mismatches. He looks for things he can exploit. And then he goes and exploits them. And to me, that's a big deal. Because not, not every defense coordinator does that. Then I got a question for you, Matt. This mm. just popped up in my head. All right. And I have no idea what the answer is. Is Dan Quinn one of those cats who's a better defensive coordinator than he is a head coach? Perhaps. I mean, again, he did take the Falcons to a Super Bowl. Yes, I said I don't know the answer. And I was just throwing it out there because I don't know the answer because some guys are. Like North Turner, much better coordinator than a head coach. Wade Phillips, yes. much better yeah. coordinator than a head coach. And I, I just said it, and, and that's why I said I don't know the answer. Uh, because he'll get another opportunity. Uh, but because he's got some cash now, he doesn't just have to jump like he did last year. He can wait for a place where he thinks he can go in and win. Yeah, that might be uh, – that. that's an interesting this? question. Like, I'm not interested in going to Carolina, bro. Why, no. Matt? No. Why? Why am I not interested in going there? Well, they had they, – one, they don't have a quarterback. They, that's that's all you got to ask, Matt. I ain't going nowhere. They ain't got no quarterback, dog. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be like, out for on real. That. Like, not – again, I'm talking about if I'm Dan Quinn. I got money. I got a good gig. I'm not going nowhere that ain't got no young quarterback in place. I wait for Brandon Staley to get fired for these silly fourth down decisions and go work with Justin Herbert. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're like, no, Taylor, Taylor, wait. They got they got Bryce Young coming out. They got CJ Stroud coming. I'm not going nowhere that ain't got no quarterback. 
Because them two cats, those guys ain't Peyton Manning. <laughs> those guys aren't like, oh, guaranteed, no problem, walk-in, future Hall of Famer. Those cats aren't that. I ain't going nowhere without a quarterback, bro. Nope. And you don't have to look any further than that than the Matt Rule example of Carolina. I mean, Matt Rule goes in. They, he never had an opportunity with a quarterback. Nope. So he never had a chance. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Dan Quinn, we, I, see, I don't think we know. We'll know when his next opportunity comes around. And then we'll be able to say, you know, much like Wade, Wade had a mul- multiple opportunities to show that he was not a head coach, same as Norv Turner. And once you get a couple of those opportunities and you don't have that success, we kind of realize, because Quinn's only had the one opportunity and he had a couple of successful seasons in Atlanta. He won playoff game in back-to-back years, obviously the debacle in the Super Bowl. And then after that, it kind of fell apart for him. And we will find out in his next stop, can he be a head coach or is he, quite honestly, Wade Phillips is a great example of that. Is he Wade Phillips 2.0? Right, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, there's just the difference between head coaches and coordinators. Yeah, and for whatever reason, some guys can CEO the thing and some guys can't, you know. But, I mean, hell, Wade had – I mean, it was obviously more than just a couple because I know he was in Denver. Where was he? Buffalo and obviously Dallas. Seems like he had a couple of other stops somewhere along the way. But those might have been interim opportunities. And I know, I mean, obviously the Denver, Buffalo, Dallas were full-time head coaching jobs, and it just he just wasn't the guy. Nah, you have to, there has to be a certain amount of toughness to you. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about the toughness where you can make those hard decisions. Uh, you got to have some game management to you. You got to be able to coach coaches and get them to do what needs to be done. Um, You have to dabble on both sides of the ball, even if you have an expertise in one. And you got to be able to bring everybody together. Um, You know, it's a lot of moving parts to being a head coach now. There is. So I just looked this up and I didn't realize this. So Wade Phillips has been a head coach for six different NFL teams more than any other person in history. But he was an interim coach in New Orleans in 1985, coached two seasons in Denver, three seasons in Buffalo, interim coach in Atlanta for three games in 2003, obviously Dallas, and then an interim coach in Houston for three games in 2013. Dude, has anybody been an interim head coach more than Wade Phillips? I mean, my goodness, three interim head coaching jobs and three full-time coaching jobs. Wow. I didn't realize that, man. I see, because, I mean, nobody remembers who the hell an interim coach is and when you interim, do you know? We remember if, if you're a head coach, kick. I mean, and I guess technically that is a head coach, but it's obviously not the same. And, of course, Norv Turner, who was in Washington for forever, then did two seasons in Oakland and six seasons in San Diego, and, and he never really... He had an overall head coaching record of 114 and 122 and only ever won three or four playoff games as a head coach. See, I'd have thought he was much worse than eight games under 500. Yeah. I mean, he was a head coach for, what, 15 years and only ever won four playoff games, which, I mean, hey, you won some playoff games. North Turner? Yeah. He lasted 15 years as a head coach? Yeah, he had seven in Washington, six in San Diego, and two in Oakland. I don't. Even, can I be honest with you, man? Hmm. I don't even remember North Turner as the Oakland. Raiders I don't either. Coach. <laughs> I remember in Washington, San like, Diego. I totally forgot. I about have. That. I have no recollection <laughs> at all. At, when was he in Oakland? In between those two stops, he was the Oakland Raiders head coach for, for 2004. They went five and eleven, and in 2005 they went four and twelve. Wow. 
I, I have no I, I had no idea, bro. <laughs> yep. I'm going to blame it seriously. I'm going to blame it on the Parcells years because I was so deep into what Bill Parcells yeah. was doing. That's why I tell you all the time, like, I don't remember A-Rod being with the Texas Rangers because why? He showed up during the Parcells years. Yeah, man. I mean, there's... Like, literally, I have no... I have no... I don't have a... Check this out, Matt. I don't have a single memory of A-Rod doing anything in the Texas Rangers uniform. I know he hit 50 homers, and I know all of the stats, but, like, I could give you a Josh Hamilton memory, and yeah. I can give you a Palmer. I can give you memories of other guys... I have zero memory that I could give you of A-Rod in a Rangers uniform. That's amazing. I mean, I, I remember that hardcore just because the day they signed him, I couldn't believe they went out and got him. But I can see why you wouldn't remember. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah man, it's wild when you look at that and some of these coaches that have just kind of bounced around and then guys that were, like we're talking about, either really good coordinators or really good head coaches. But it goes back to Dan Quinn with the Cowboys. He he can coach some damn defense, man. And I, I love what he's done, bro. I, I mean, do I love too. the fact I love the fact he went to a four two five. Dude, I love the fact that he that he figured out that J. Ron Curse could have a role when he hadn't done anything in his first five years of his NFL career. And then if you look at Marquise Bell, the free agent they signed for Florida A and M, yeah, he's built just like J. Ron Curse, and it's clear to me that they're like, oh, okay, when J. Ron's deal is up. This guy will have been here for two years, and we can slide him in there and hopefully uh, uh, keep it moving. Um, that's the other thing I was going to tell you before we shifted topics was there's something to be said. I think Dorrance Armstrong is a good example because uh, it doesn't happen very often. There's something to being said for drafting a guy, and check this out, Matt, actually giving him time to develop, much like college football where you come in, most of the time, if you're not a skilled position guy, what do you do? You redshirt. So you get bigger and stronger. Then you spend a couple of years playing behind uh, some All-American, uh, learning uh, what you can do, getting better in practice. And then you play a little bit, and then you play a lot, and then your career is over. Uh, but your senior year, he's like, oh, this guy's uh, done this, he's done that, he's a good yeah. player, he's developed. And I think that's just kind of what Doris Armstrong is. He, he's, he got to sit and learn enough, and now – He's in a position to succeed, and he's succeeding. Yeah, and he's succeeding very well, man. It, I mean, it's a potent Cowboys defense, and we've we've talked about it many, many times. It's so much more fun to watch the defense right now than the offense. They just have playmakers all over the field. And, I mean, obviously, when you've got a generational guy like Micah Parsons, I mean, that dude. And, and I got to tell you, I, I loved, I don't know if you saw, and I don't follow him on Twitter or anything, but enough people were retweeting him last night. Watching him just calling out different plays and whatnot, watching Monday Night Football, talking about like, I mean, we can't let guys get held like this. And come on, that's not roughing the pass. And my man, he just seems like a dude you would hang with. And he's a beast. I love it. Micah Parsons. And he's ours. And it's going to cost the Cowboys $35 million a year to re-sign that dude. Um, you know, one of the things, man, that because uh, I heard this conversation on the I think it was the ticket. I think uh, I think Norm and Donnie were having it. And they were like, you know, DeMarcus Ware was great. Or I don't know. I heard it on a ticket. I can't remember who was having it. Yeah. Um, DeMarcus Ware is great, but we never looked at DeMarcus Ware like this. And he's a Hall of Famer. But Michael Parsons is just different. 
And to me, man, it's really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a difference. See, there are, and Dion talks about this all the time if you get him riled up. There are Hall of Famers, okay? Yeah. And then there are the starters of the Hall of Famers, okay? Like, there's, there's all these guys in the Hall of Fame. Then there's all these guys who would be starters in the Hall of Fame and another collection of groups who would be backups in the Hall of Fame if we got a Hall of Fame roster. Like, Jim Brown is a starter. Emmitt Smith is a backup in the Hall of Fame, okay? Well, then there's also guys who would be, like, all pros of your Hall of Famers. And I would say, like, Lawrence Taylor, he's an all-pro amongst Hall of Famers. Dion is an all-pro amongst Hall of Famers. Jim Brown is an all-pro amongst Hall of Famers. They're the greats of the greats. And, yes, it's too early to say Michael Parsons is the great of the great because that's all about longevity. Can you do that for a decade? Um, You know, but his first year in five games says he's on that path. Now it's just a matter of whether he can avoid catastrophic injury and the pitfalls of fame and all this other stuff and just continue on the path that he's on. And if he is, he'll be, when it's all said and done, one of those all-time greats. But he's he's got to do all of that. Yeah, and he's got to do it this season. And if he does it again next year, I mean, we're talking the Cowboys are going to have to start negotiating with that dude after three years because I I do believe at the path he's on, he will be the highest paid defensive player in football when he signs a contract extension, whenever that is. I mean, Aaron Donald right now, I think, is like at 31, 32 million a year. That's why I threw out the 35 number a couple of years from now. Honestly, would not be surprised at all if Micah Parsons is 34, 35 million a year. No, I mean, it's just going to be the going rate. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and to be like, okay, how much do you, how much does the best defensive player in football cost? It's whatever that guy is, and then a couple million more than that. And we'll see where that is. But as we continue here, before we get to this trip around the block, let's tell you, have you had your bruise built on yet? And we tell you guys about this all the time. So we've had, and I would encourage, if you're one of our new listeners, go back through, because we had them on, I think in August, we had the owner and the founder, the guy who invented, in a sense, this type of, well, I'm not going to say he invented Biltong, but it's Bruce Biltong. His name is Steve Isaacs. And he used to work as a rocket scientist and started making this because he's from South Africa originally. He started making Biltong in his garage. And he'd give it out to his friends and stuff. And like, man, it's so good. And he had this idea that he wanted to start his own company. So he started it. And it's called Bruce Biltong because in South Africa, like when they greet, like how we would say, hey, what's up, man, over here? They say, how's it, Bru? And so that's where Bruce Biltong comes from. It's B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. And I'll tell you, man, if, if you like beef jerky, this is 100% air-dried beef. It tastes better than any beef jerky you've ever had, and it's way more savory and tender than any beef jerky you've ever even thought about trying. Dude. Bill time, baby. I call them succulent butt strips uh, because that's the part of the meat that they take it from, and then mm-hmm. they slice it into strips. I like my strips sliced, and it's even better. Uh, it's, it's, I was going to say it's juicy. It's succulent. It's savory. It doesn't get stuck in your teeth. No need for a toothpick when you finish it. It's fantastic. Plus, 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 plus. Only 230 calories, yet 30 grams of protein in a two-ounce pouch. You can't really do it any better than that. It's the perfect yeah. snack. Yeah, it is, man. I mean, it, and it's so good. And I'll tell you, it, it's 
What they do is, again, it's South African air-dried meat. It's 100% beef, typically using salt, vinegar, variety of spices, a little bit of coriander. He's got his own way that he seasons it and whatnot. whatnot. But that's what you were talking about, the butt strips part. It's Dutch. The bill means buttock, since that's where the cut of meat usually comes from, and the tong means strip. So when we talk about bruised bill tong, it is. It's bruised butt strips, which is kind of funny to say. But it's so good, man. So check it out. It's online at bruisebiltong.com. Use the promo code JAM15 at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your order every time. Not just your first time, every time. JAM15 at bruisebiltong.com. Always, as of course, Freeway Tire Shop, man. And, and you've been going there now for a couple of years, Jacques. And I know that he is, JR and his guys have worked on every single one of your vehicles. And it's one of those things living in Alabama now. It's like, man, because I've got to get an oil change and a tire rotation and stuff. And it'd be so much easier if I knew I just had the peace of mind, drop it off with JR and I'm good to go. Because you trust him and you know that he is going to do quality work and stand behind it. Dude, that's the whole reason. I mean, the whole reason go to JR is because his customer service is immaculate. He learned it from the uh, management program that eight, that uh, Home Depot has because he, he, that's what, where he was trained at. And then he just brought all of that to his own business. But I rock with him because I trust him to diagnose what's wrong with my car. First and foremost, that's what you need done. Then I trust him to use quality parts to fix it so the same thing don't keep happening. I trust him to charge me a fair price, bro. I mean, because a lot of mechanics don't. They hose you. We know it. They know it. It's not a lot you can do about it until you know a guy like JR. And then I trust him, man, to stand behind his work. If there's ever a problem, you just bring it back and say, hey, doc, still making the same noise. What's up? He goes up under there, tinkers around, fixes it, gives it back. No problem. That's why I rock with JR. He's five minutes north of downtown, right off of 35 in Commonwealth. I'm telling you, take your car by there. You can thank us later. Send us. Just, just thank us later. Uh, but, hey, you'll be glad you did. It's Freeway Tire Shop, and you can find them online where you can request a quote. You can schedule an appointment. Let them know. You heard about him on the Jam Session podcast. He's a listener, man. He'll, he'll hang out and chat with you as well at FreewayTireShop.com. So we'll take this trip around the block, and I came across this story, and I got to tell you, I'm not sure that I realize this, but the fa- this is what is wrong with society in my mind, all right? A California man has filed a class action lawsuit against Texas Pete Hot Sauce because it is not made in Texas, and he is claiming that it is false advertising. Just stop, bro. Are you familiar with Texas Pete Hot Sauce? I'm sure I, I've had it many, many a time. No, I, no I'm not. Okay. And, and I, look, the Texas Pete bottle has a picture of a cowboy. He's got a cowboy hat on the bottle, and he's got a lasso and all this. It is a Louisiana-style hot sauce, but it is made in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And so what's really interesting is... This dude, his name is Philip White, said he bought a bottle of Texas Pete original hot sauce in Los Angeles because he thought it was an authentic Texas product. And the lawsuit says, had he known that the product was not made in Texas, he would not have purchased the product or would have paid significantly less for it. He paid $3 for the damn bottle. How about just don't buy it again, bro? What a clown. No, I mean, it's, 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 that's what's wrong with the world, man. It's a litigious society. It's unnecessarily so. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I wish there was, 
I wish there was some punishment for bringing a frivolous lawsuit. Yeah, because that's what this is, man. And, and so the, he says that the state of Texas enjoys a certain mysticism and appeal and is known for its quality cuisine, spicy food, and hot sauce. So by way of its false marketing and labeling, the defendant, which is Texas Pete, knowingly and intentionally capitalizes on consumers' desire to partake in the culture and authentic cuisine of one of the most prideful states in America. And this dude's not even from Texas. He's from freaking California, man. And here, newsflash, clown. It literally tells you on the bottle, if you want to read all of it, that it's made in North Carolina. <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell these people. And, you know, I like, I like Texas Pete. I mean, it's not my favorite because I'm not like the most insane Louisiana-style hot sauce guy, but I enjoy it. Texas hot sauce is, is not a style of hot sauce like Louisiana style. There is some good. You know, I, I tend to, I mean, there's a variety of different hot sauces out there. I like sriracha a lot. My favorite, my go-to that I use the most is Cholula. You know, I don't think I've ever had Cholula. How, you, what? How have you never had Cholula? It's the hot sauce with the iconic wooden cap. Because I'm not a big hot sauce guy. I mean, yeah. like, I don't like hot sauce. I don't like buffalo wings. Really? So, like, you've never had, like, Frank's or anything like that? No, I don't like hot sauce. Man, like Frank's Red Hot Wing Sauce is fantastic. Uh, I, I, like I've got somebody, a bottle of that. Like somebody once asked me, it may have been Will Chambers. He's like, I can't believe you don't like this rock band. I go, if I don't like rock music, why well, would I like some rock band? Yeah, that's true. So if I don't like hot sauce, I'm not trying hot sauce because I don't like it. That makes a lot of sense, obviously. I mean, I'm not a, like Tabasco. I'm not a Tabasco fan. That's Randy Galloway's thing. He had bottles of Tabasco everywhere. Yeah, but I've always got a bottle of Cholula in the pantry. I use Cholula often. Now, Galloway took, took Tabasco with him wherever he went. Like, he had bottles in his bag, in his car, just everywhere. And let's see. I don't Because I don't know where Cholula is made. Maybe I can figure out a way to... To figure this one out, uh, it's from Mexico. Okay. So they're not trying to trick me in that one. All right. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I came across that lawsuit and I was like, man, what are we doing? You know, and now what's going to have happen is you never know. Some jury, this is going to go in front or maybe there'll be a settlement. And now anybody who likes Texas Pete is going to have to pay more because they're going to up the price because this dude is pissed that his $3 was not an authentic Texas product. Like, why wouldn't you do a little research on this or read the bottle or something and be like, oh, Texas Pete, I wonder, is this really, I don't know, strange to me. I found that odd. Elsewhere, we move along here in the DFW area. I thought this is interesting because there's a brand new pizza place that is opening on Oak Lawn in Dallas next week. It will be the first ever Texas establishment for the Miami pizza place known as Mr. One. And it's Italian-born founder and master pizza chef, Renato Viola, named, <laughs> named the company O1 because he received an O1 visa to move to the United States under what the government describes as an extraordinary ability in a craft. I mean, <laughs> okay. Because he's such a good cook. He's such a good pizza chef or whatever. All right. I'm down. Apparently, he's been studying cooking since he was 11 years old. And this Mr. O1 pizza joint, its crust is made with dough that begins with finely ground, double zero Italian flour is thin and delicate. 
Its dough is rested for at least 72 hours. Its standard toppings are a mix of traditional and creative. And there, then there are the Viola Signature Star-shaped Extraordinary Pizza Pies, boasting pockets of ricotta within each star point on the crust. Sounds really good. I mean, I was going to say, sounds good. I wonder if it looks good. Yeah, it looks, I mean, it looks good. And this is supposed to be legit. And it'll be the first in Texas of its kind. And it opens next week. So any of you that are big time pizza fans and like or trying out some new pizzas, you can look for that on Oaklawn Avenue, I guess. Next week when it opens, you can go and get a pizza pie. Oh, <laughs> all right. And then finally here, a couple other things to throw out for you on the block. And Angela Lansbury. Probably most well-known, I would guess, for Murder, She Wrote. Although I'm sure some people that are a little older, maybe you know her from some of her older work and whatnot. But Angela Lansbury passed away today at the age of 96, five days before her 97th birthday. Wow, she had a hell of a run now. Man, did she ever. And, and I'll tell you, she, I mean, she had been in a just so many different films and and like i said the murder she wrote obviously was one that i guess my generation was probably very very familiar with some of you may remember her as i do from the disney movie from the early 70s bed knobs and broomsticks did you ever see that no, I'm not even, I don't even remember that. Yeah, that was where, that was one of those, kind of like, remember how Disney for a while would do, like, real people, but they would be in a, in a cartoon world? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Like, Mary Poppins did that, you know, where at one point they went to where Mary Poppins and Bert took the kids, and they were just in a cartoon world. Well, bed knobs and broomsticks was the same thing, where she had a magic bed knob, and they could put it, they would twist it onto the, the corner of the bed, and they could fly around and go to, like, fantasy cartoon world. I used to love that movie when I was a little kid, man. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was really, really cool. And she was in I mean a gazillion things. She she was first in motion pictures in the nineteen forties. Damn, was she? Yeah. I just know her from murder she wrote. Yeah, I mean, she was in all kinds of stuff in the 40s and in the 50s and then started doing a lot of just di- different uh, Disney-type films and stuff like that. She was in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, she was Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. She voiced that character for Disney and did a lot of things like that. She was in Mary Poppins Returns a few years ago. And, I mean, obviously, I mean, the murder she wrote ran for forever. I mean, I was trying to see how many episodes of murder she wrote there were because it seems like there is a, is it 264 episodes of That's murder she wrote. Oh, my God. She, it was on for 12 years? I never would have thought that. And she solved every case. Holy crap. I mean, every, I mean I've mean, i seen murder she wrote, but I, I mean, it's not like I was watching it. Wow. I never would have guessed that was on for 12 seasons. Man, what a life. I mean, you're almost 97 years old. Angela Lansbury passing away on October 11th. Crazy. And then finally for you guys, and I mentioned this the other day, but we are looking for new sponsors, man. So if, again, if any of y'all own an, like a local business or you've got a friend that owns a local business, and it's not for everybody. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be for everybody, but... We have such a a phenomenal group of listeners, I think. Many of you that listen, you know, you you interact with us and you're such a real awesome group of listeners that if you own a business 
you know, it can be a win-win and there's some things that we need a little help with moving forward as we try to grow this thing. So if you are somebody out there, and like I said, you own a local business or you've got something that you'd like to get some exposure for, reach out and let's see if it's a fit. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Doesn't work for everybody, as you might imagine. But you can shoot me an email, matt at jamsessionpodcast.com, and I can give you some information on that and how it works. And we can see if it would be a fit where it's kind of a win-win and and maybe help you get some business or, or get your whatever it is that you do in front of our great listening audience, because so many of you, I mean, again, you can look across the board, whether it's Smokey John's or HFX Foundation, Greening Law. We've got, obviously, when you look at some of the ones that we just talked about, Freeway Tire Shop and Bruce Biltong, who has never done a podcast before, comes to us and we're the only podcast he's ever done. We continue to be the only podcast he's ever done and has talked about how he's had such great success with many of you that are consistently ordering the biltong or how about the jam session bowl and how popular it's become at smoky john's from so many of you that go and check that out and it really matters i mean it when you support our sponsors it it truly helps to support us and keep this thing going so that's one of the things about podcasting that has really blown my mind to see the support that all of you that listen continue to give our sponsors which helps us and and we're just trying to grow this thing man so we're looking to to bring on a couple more so if that's you and it makes sense let us know shoot me an email matt at jamsessionpodcast.com and we'll see where it goes i don't know maybe the future is so bright that we absolutely have to wear shades ray-bans ray-bans are expensive (laughs) no i have a i have do you are you a ray-ban guy do you prefer a ray-ban okay check this out man i prefer a ray-ban aviator i've got about uh you know me matt i got about six pair yeah but i've had them i've never like i've really got about nine pair but a couple of them i don't know uh they just got kind of like so scratched over the years uh just because they're old um that uh that i'm wearing very often but i've only lost i haven't i don't think i've ever lost a pair I did drop a pair once, and they, like, shattered into a million pieces, uh, which was a little surprising. But uh, the only reason I buy them, in addition to the fact I like them, is I have proved to myself that I won't lose them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think there's some fairness to that. I mean, that's interesting. Like, I like the aviator look. I've never had a pair of Ray-Bans. But I got, I don't know, maybe a, a year ago or longer, I got into this sunglass company called Blender's. And they make like these 80s looking like hyper color and different like bright colored shades that are almost like mirrored fronts, but different colors and stuff. And man, I've, I've got like four pairs of those. Look at you. Yeah. And, and I'm, uh, I've gotten to be a big fan of these blenders, man. And, and I wear them. That's what I wear every day. And, and, you know, I can get blue and they had one called Dance Electric that just, just screamed at like 1985. And I was like, man, these are awesome. I like that. I like that. Look at you. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm so happy when you're frivolous. <laughs> so I got into, into blenders, and actually, I got to remember to get my other pair out because I had taken them with us when we traveled, and I left them in my suitcase. I forget to keep bringing them out because those are my favorite ones. It just sucks like whenever you, whenever you accidentally scratch your sunglasses. Yeah, trust me, I know. And then you're like, God, there's like that one little dot in your vision that you can't get rid of, but you're like, man, I, you know. <laughs> I don't want to go buy new ones. I'm just going to have to figure out how to wear these for a while. So frustrating. Yes. 
All right, one other thing before we get to Todd Archer that I want to throw out here because we got to talk about this. Texas OU. (laughs) And I'm sorry because I know my mom listens and I know it's painful, but 49 to nothing. What about your dad? You don't care about your dad listening? Yeah, I don't don't know that my dad listens. I know my mom listens every time and, and I think my mom will mention stuff to him from time to time, but 49 to nothing? Bro. What? 49 to nothing. Well, I mean, in their defense, I mean, I think Texas was clearly a better team. But in their defense, bro, they didn't have a quarterback. And, you know, when you're playing high-level football without a quarterback, when they came out, they had, they didn't even have a, man, they had the tight end, number nine, running the Wildcat. And that thing worked for about a series until Texas said, oh, there's not a trick that's really what y'all are doing. Okay, we finna eliminate that. Yeah, I mean, they just, they really had no chance um, offensively. Uh, defensively, Texas is pretty good with yours back there, man, because they got good receivers. Yeah. Bijan is a beast. Um, he's a first-round running back. Back in the day, he'd be a top-five pick. I don't know where he's going now because we don't care about running backs, but that dude is the truth. Yes, he is. And so when you got a quarterback who can at least hit the guys he's supposed to hit and you got a coach – who's really good at scheming guys open, which means you don't have to throw into very many tight windows. Uh, I don't know if Texas is back, but they're on the road to being back. And and the best thing, let me tell you all the best thing about being a Texas Longhorn right now. This is the best thing to me, my little humble opinion about being a Longhorn, is you got Ewers for this year and next year, and then you got Arch Manning for two years, maybe three. And while he's there, you'll be if, – if those guys have success and it looks like yours is going to have it, you'll be like my boys. You'll just have a stable of top five of five-star quarterbacks and you won't go through this drought like you've had since Vince and uh, Colt McCoy. Yeah, and, and the other part of that is skill position players are going to want to come play in this offense. Like, oh, that ain't going to be no problem. That's why you right. the quarterback is the right. key. And y'all ain't had a quarterback in forever. Why Texas A and M is just a? I mean, they're no. I mean, they're a nondescript program right now, despite all their talent. For one reason, you got no damn quarterback. Yep. And, if you and, don't have a quarterback, brother, you have no chance. And they got a receiver who has to be there again next year in Xavier Worthy. It's it's interesting, and, and they've got to figure out ways. And and again, I be, I am of the belief, and it's whatever because you never know and it happened if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt against Alabama I think this is an undefeated Texas team right now they lost by a last second field goal to Bama and then Texas Tech beat them in overtime and those are their two losses and if Quinn Ewers never gets hurt I don't know that they lose either one of those games to be honest with you that dude is for real well I don't think dude he was one of like only four quarterbacks ever or four recruits ever to get a perfect recruiting score um and now he's living up to the hype, and they're only, he's only going to get better as he gets more experience. You've got skill position people, but now what, what Texas has to do is you can't, you can't beat OU 49 nothing and then slip up against some Rudy Poot team down the road that's on your schedule. You need to go beat everybody else and, uh, you know, go win the Big 12. Uh, go take some, some anger out on TCU for what they've done to you over the years and beat Oklahoma State. I mean, you know. Go go go! show that Texas is back. Go start kicking people's ass. So some of the numbers from this game, the Texas OU game, 
the 49 points the most the Longhorns have ever scored in the series against Oklahoma. It is their largest margin of victory over Oklahoma. 311 consecutive games without being shut out for Oklahoma. The last time OU was shut out was November 7th of 1998 by any team. The last time Texas shut out Oklahoma was 1965. I mean, that's insane. Oklahoma had scored an offensive touchdown in 167 straight games, the longest active streak in the FBS. Obviously, that ends. It also was the worst shutout loss in Oklahoma history. The 49 to nothing loss, worse than the 47 to nothing loss that they lost to Oklahoma State in 1945. I mean, think about all that. That's, that is incredible that the last time OU was shut out was in 1998. Dude, I mean, they've been an offensive force, man. It's, uh, I mean, I was more shocked by the shutout than the, than the blowout. Win, yeah, to be yeah, I was too. Even though, I mean, I just told you, they, they literally didn't have a quarterback, man. And so, I mean, <laughs> without a quarterback, there's really only so much you're going to be able to do. And the other thing, that Alabama A&M game on Saturday night, and it's wild because I can't figure out whether it shows something about Alabama or it shows how bad A&M actually is. Texas A&M won the turnover battle plus three and Alabama missed two field goals, and somehow Alabama won the game. And I went back and looked at this. In their last 20 games, A&M, when they won the turnover battle by plus two or more, they were 19-1. and one. Damn. And somehow they found a way to lose plus three, and the other team misses two field goals. I mean, I, I still can't figure out how Alabama won that game. I mean, you're not supposed to win games. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, think about that. Alabama doesn't turn the ball over. They just don't. Right. And, and the fact they were they turned it over four times and were minus three and missed two field goals and somehow won the game, I was like, my, how does that happen? You don't win games like that. Well, it, it happens really because the other team doesn't really believe that they're supposed to win, so they let you off the hook. I mean, goodness, man. I mean, I think it's something like you have like a 5 to 8% chance of winning any game at college or the pro level if you have a minus 3 or worse. Like, I mean, as you go, you know, minus 1, your chances drop. Minus 2, you have like a 25% chance of winning. Minus 3 is like 10% or something like that. And then obviously it goes worse and worse the more turnovers you have. Alabama had not lost the turnover battle by minus 3 or more since 2015 in a game they lost to Ole Miss. That, it's, wow. been, it's been seven years since they were minus three or worse in the turnover battle, and somehow they found a way to win that game. Who knows? Dude, crazy. I know, man. And now A&M's sitting three and three, and you stare at that back half of the schedule, and you go, eh, seven and five is on the way, my friends. That's what it's looking like, bro. I mean, it's, you know. And, and that's being generous, assuming that you can win four out of your next six games. But seven and five, man. I mean, who Jimbo Fisher in year five going seven and five. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. And apparently everybody's thrilled about it. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I love the Aggies, though, who point out, like some guy tweeted at me and I was like, well, I consider this a win because you predicted a blowout. It's a typical Aggie. I mean, you guys are three and three and you're acting like because you lost Alabama by four points, you've done something good. 
Amazing. Uh, no, ain't no moral victories, y'all. No, not at this point. This is this is a team that was the number six ranked team coming into the season that was supposed to compete for a playoff spot. The hell are you guys doing? Y'all should be pissed. Should be infuriated at Jimbo Fisher right now. All right, yeah, but, but I, I I took a look at his contract. He ain't going nowhere, so nope. y'all can just be infuriated. You are correct. He will be there. Much like before we get to Todd, Smokey Johns is there for you. And they are ready, man. Right there off Mockingbird. If you haven't had that Jam Session Bowl yet, man, only available to Jam Session podcast listeners. That's the only way you even know it exists. You've had it multiple times. It's fantastic, only for our listeners. And if you can't get over to the store, then go online, smokyjohns.com, click on Smokey's Market. I've got a couple of bottles of their barbecue sauce at my house in Alabama. Maybe you prefer the rub. You can order it online. They'll ship it to you wherever, man. And I, their sauce is so good. It's good. I will tell you this. Just wherever you are listening to this, go online right now and order a bottle of their barbecue sauce and tell me it's not incredible. <laughs> Just go. I mean, really, Matt likes to drink it. So, you know, Smokey John's is great. Doesn't matter whether you're, you're ordering the Jam Session Bowl uh, off the secret menu. Doesn't matter whether you're ordering off the menu. I had a rib sandwich a few weeks ago that was sensational. Mm. Um, bro, it's all good, man. And, you know, we like to tell you, you can get the rub at the HEB in Frisco. Yeah, they're in stores. They're that big. Or you can go to the website, click on the marketplace, get the rub, get the sauce, sent to your crib and have a little bit of Texas flavor wherever you are in these here United World or the galaxy. Yeah, man. And look for them at the State Fair, too, because they got multiple locations. They got a lot going on if you guys are headed out to the fair before it goes away for the year. It's Smokey John's Barbecue right there on Mockingbird off 35. Local, family-owned, the two brothers that own it, man, they're just wonderful people. They're having a lot of great success, and you guys got to check it out because it's phenomenal. It's Smokey John's. All right, it is time to check in with our ESPN Cowboys insider. You know him well. It's Todd Archer joining us. And, Todd, Dallas 4-1, and one, and, I mean, at this point, what do you say about this defense who once again shuts down another offense that – and I know the Rams aren't the offense that maybe we have in our minds that they are, but still – 10 points to Stafford and McVay is is impressive. Yeah, I mean, they've played in three of their five games. they played Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl winning quarterback, Joe Burrow, took his team to the Super Bowl, and Tom Brady. And they've not allowed more than one touchdown in a game to the three of those guys. So any way you look at it, you have to be impressed. And I'll have a story later in the week on ESPN.com about it. Through five games in 2020, you ready for some of these numbers? Mike nope, McCarthy's first on. year. Dave, the first five games, 2,022 yards allowed, 47.9% third down conversion allowed, one interception, 10 sacks, and ready? 180 points through five games. This that year? Was, uh, when was that? That was his first year? 2020, yeah. When Mike Nolan was running that thing. With huh? Mike Nolan. This year through five games, 1,557 yards, 33.8% on third down, five picks, 20 sacks, 72 points. This wasn't like five years ago. This was 24 months ago. Like, this is some of the same guys that were on that defense that was awful that are now playing great. And you give, you give Dan Quinn a, a lot of credit, obviously, for what they're doing. To me, what you have to, in, in a, a, a missed part of this, yeah, it's a scheme, and yeah, he's got guys in the right spots, and the players are better and yada, yada, yada. 
But to me, a big part of it is how they've got these guys and Dan Quinn saying, this is what I want, and the personnel department getting him what he wants. Like that, that synergy between those two sides has worked out so well the last, really, what you know, Quinn got here in 21, so since Dan Quinn got here. There, there's 16 us- guys on the defense that, that are new from 21 on. So, I mean, they're doing a good job of finding the right guy for Dan Quinn, and he knows how to play him. I was going to say, now you know how I like to roll. Can you give us an example of uh, – I have some, I have a couple in mind, but can you give us an example of, like, the type of player that you're talking about where Quinn says, hey, I need a guy like this, like that, who does this, and they go, oh, okay, we got the perfect guy in mind for you, and they went and got him. Well, I don't know if it's, he said this, this is what I need or if he said this is the guy I need, but to me, the, the guy that – there's two things that come to mind. Like, I think that the minimum length of arm length on defensive linemen that Quinn wants is 33 inches. So what have they got? They got all these guys with long arms and that, that allow them to get after the passer and blah, 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 blah. But to me, the, the specific player is probably Jaron Curse, right? And maybe we can throw Malik Hooker in there too, but really it's Curse because when he signed here, I'll, I'll be honest, I said, okay, this is Broadney Poole, this is uh, – Will Allen, this is all these safeties that they signed in free agency that dude didn't even going to make it out of training camp. But they had a specific role in mind for this guy after what he did in Detroit for a handful of games at the end of that season, or even I think he might have ended up the year in, in Baltimore after Detroit cut him. And it, he's flourished since he's been here. So they, said they found a, a tall, rangy safety who can play down in the box, yet can also cover tight ends really well. Like, and they have roles for him. It's not like, like, think of how many guys that have played on defense so far this season. Now, last year, I know they said, like, the first however many games they played 30 guys on defense. It might not be to that extent yet, but every year, you know, Jerry always says, the 1990s Cowboys and that defensive line, and it's like, yeah, okay, Jerry, your defensive line is basically DeMarcus Ware and Greg Ellis or DeMarcus Ware and Anthony Spencer or Jay Rowland. Like, now it's, legitimately like eight guys deep <laughs> like th- that and to, i wasn't here for that josh you were that's what made that defensive line really good it was eight guys legitimately deep and it wasn't a huge drop off on these guys so yeah I, I you know again kudos to quinn for putting them in the right spot but kudos to the personnel department for finding the right guys that fit what he wants to do yeah and it's interesting too this conversation because when you look at it and, and Jacques and i were kind of talking about this earlier You know, you take the 20 guys that have played 50 or more snaps defensively this year, 15 of them were draft picks by the Cowboys and the other five were free agents. What do you think it is about the guys that were here when Quinn got here and the way that they've developed some of those picks from a couple of years ago? Well, are you talking like Diggs and Gallimore? Because those are the guys they drafted in 2020. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, I don't know what more you can say about. Here's one thing I'll say about Trayvon Diggs, and I'm going to sound like a fool. Yeah, he gave up the big uh, catch to, to Atwell, and they said Hooker should have been there in a better position. And, and the 75-yard touchdown pass to uh, to Cup when he undercut it and probably shouldn't have. I thought after that, that was the best game that Trayvon Diggs played this year. Like, his guys caught nothing. And he tackled no. guys. And, like, how he responded to those, those situations – 
shows me that, okay, this guy's a player. It's not like, oh, I got beat, so I'm done for the day and I'm going to pout. So, but, but I mean, the other leftover guys, like Demarcus Lawrence, well, he's been a good player for, and not to quote Jason Garrett, but he's been a good player for a long time around here. Um, you know, but Dorrance Armstrong, like, he was okay. But did anybody think he'd be, he's got, he's got four sacks in right. five games? Like, you know, look at how they replaced Randy Gregory. It's Armstrong, Fowler, and, and Sam Williams who had his best game on Sunday. So those guys count about seven point four million against the cap. Randy Gregory counts five point six million against Denver's cap, and he's hurt right now. So you have three guys for a little bit for one point eight million dollars more against the cap than one guy. They wouldn't have been able to do that if they kept Randy Gregory. So, but you know, Vanderash, he's. You, Jock even tweeted about it, so you know he's paying attention to the game. <laughs> he, he's playing, he's he's playing really well. No one wants to ever give the kid any credit because you know I don't. He just he's gotten on the wrong side of Cowboys fans. Well, but he's also playing because well. he's cantankerous. I don't know why, but he is. He's fine. He, you know, Russell's cantankerous. Orlando Scandrick was cantankerous. Didn't get any right. I mean, true. so this is true. Anthony Brown. Old player. He's like the other corner you look at from Diggs and say, hey, he's pretty good too. Jordan Lewis, he's another guy, a holdover guy that, that has played well in the slot. And probably the guy that we should have talked about, should talk about more is Donovan Wilson. Like after Dude, his first year when he played here, right? When well, after his first year, we were like, yeah, okay, who's this guy? He is, he's not really doing much. And now, you know, he played a little bit at the end of his rookie year under Garrett. Then the ball found him, you know, the ball seemed to find him. It still seems to find him. He's doing well. So, like, I, I don't know if there's a player on that defense where you look at him and say, well, that guy is not meeting expectations. Like, I think everybody you would say is either meeting it or exceeding it. No, I, th- I think that's uh, that's part of the reason why they're playing well. They don't put any bad players out there, and now I think they're also playing with a level of confidence that allows you uh, to play fast and play, play well. But I think, and you tell me, this to me will be their biggest and best test because Philadelphia runs the ball more than anybody. They're good at it. Yeah. They got two good receivers and a good tight end. And if uh, if you hold those boys in check, whatever in check is, we'll know it when we see it. Then, uh, dude, I mean, you will have done just about as much as you could do. Right, and this is what, like you you mentioned a little bit. Obviously, their running game and hurt and their offensive line. Now their offensive line banged up pretty good. There, there's guy I don't think Maylot is going to play. Um, one of their guards is banged up. Kelsey got hurt in the game as well, but still you can just factor in that they'll be there probably. Um, and Lane Johnson's a really good right tackle, but Hurts is the guy that can change the dynamic of the game with his ability to run. And do the Cowboys, one thing Mike McCarthy said, look, if I was playing against us, I'd just run it down your throat. You know, like he had said that to the Cowboys defense. Like, because, you know, they, they do a lot of moves, a lot of games. They, they, they tend to be susceptible to runs. And we saw Daniel, Daniel Jones run for, what was it, 78 yards or whatever it was a few weeks ago for the Giants. So they'll have to be more disciplined, I would say, this week. And is this a to steal a Rod Marinelli thing? Is this a keep him in the cup kind of game where – you must rush it and and make sure he can't break out and do things and have him hold on the ball against the coverage and maybe he makes a mistake. We'll, we'll see. That might go against what, what has become the M.O. of this pass rush where it just falls to the wall and go find the quarterback. 
Um, but I, I wonder if they'll be a little more, what's the word, subdued <laughs> in how they attack yeah. the passer uh, this week. I think the, it, this will be like that Russell Wilson thing where they say keep him in, yeah. in the pocket. And I think, now this is just me, masterful defensive coordinator that I've known to be on Madden. Um, I think they'll use Donovan Wilson as a spy early and, and try to uh, try to control Hurts that way. Well, that means you're going to have both safeties down because – or, or you're going to have all, you know, you're going with the free safety look, as, yeah. which is basically their base defense, right? But, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and that's the beauty of this defense, that they can roll out a free safety look. They can roll out a base look. They can roll out a dime look. They can roll out a nickel look and still be found against all of it. And, and you know, you're not holding your breath of saying, oh, gosh, you got to roll out, uh, help me out with a cornerback that they played in the past where, like, that guy's a weak link. Like, I don't, you know, if you're, I don't, I, I, I'm going to say that, like, Anthony Brown is probably a guy that people view as the weak link. If that's your weak link, that's still a pretty strong link. Oh, no, he's a solid player, man. Right. Above average. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like this, you know, they're, they're rolling out, and I can't even give you a good example. Uh, who is a dude from uh, Daryl Worley? It's not like they're, you know, saying <laughs> again, go back to 2020, he was one of their guys. Like, you know, he's not a guy that that they're rolling out there now. When I was going to say, the, the other side of this is, is the offense, and obviously it's, it still continues to kind of lack a little something, but Jerry still wants us to believe that Dak is a possibility for Sunday. I mean, is that a thing? Or, I mean, is this Cooper Rush? It's Cooper Rush this week. I, I can't imagine Dak's going to play this week based off of one – practice in which he might throw the ball <laughs> right i mean again it's not like he's missed two weeks he's missed a month right i mean i just can't imagine oh how he can spin the ball okay how, i mean you're gonna want to see it you're gonna and and mike i think mike mccarthy we need to believe mike mccarthy more in this one than jerry and mccarthy's talked about wanting to have a full week of practice that it's a practical approach that they need to have you know and this isn't Let's get off on a two-subject here. This ain't 2016, Dak and, and Romo, right? Because in 2016, in that 11-game winning streak, they failed to score more than 24 points just once. Well, this team, this offense has topped 24 points once with with Cooper Rush. So the dynamics of this offense, these offenses in those two years, is completely different. So. Uh, but as long as you're winning these games, you've bought yourself time to make sure Dak is not only right, but really right. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was still a surgery that was a month ago? Yeah, not even a month ago. He had the surgery September 12th. So we're closing in on a month. So it's still only four weeks. And it's probably looking closer to a, this is going to be a six-week thing. Then, then the within four weeks, as Jerry kind of told us, right? So now my other take on the whole Dak and Cooper Rush thing, how do I say this politely? I think too many, of us, polite. too many of us in the media, media are looking at social media to paint this picture of the Cowboys fans want Cooper Rush as the quarterback. I will, I'm willing to bet the overwhelming majority of Cowboys fans want Dak Prescott as the quarterback. It's the loud people on social media, Twitter, whatever you want to call, 
that are that are pushing this narrative that have always pushed this narrative and we listen too much to that noise in in our ground to make it seem like every Cowboys fan wants Cooper Rush to be the guy. Bullshit. It's the first time I swore on this podcast. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys think I'm an idiot. But that's just like like I, I see like fellow media members that go on Twitter that want to get into these debates with these fans. Why even give them oxygen? Because they're just trolling. And who cares what, as a good friend of ours says, Joe and Flower Mound has to say. It doesn't matter. Like, you know what you're seeing. And again, like we said, this isn't 2016 Cowboys when you're looking at what Dak was doing as Romo was out, what the rest of the offense was doing. Like, it, Cooper Rush has done amazingly well. Right? I mean, he's 4 0. He's one count last year, he's 5 0. But it, like, are you looking at a guy that you would ever say, here's the franchise quarterback? I would think during that 11-game winning streak that Dak had as a rookie, people came to say, okay, this guy shouldn't have been a fourth-round pick, and he's going to be a franchise quarterback because of plays that he made. Like, so, okay, there's my soapbox. No, I agree. Stuff about listening to the social media. He, as Witten has told all of us that we don't do a good – Keep your eyes above the spectator line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I think, and, and Jacques and I have talked about this, and it blows my mind. You know, when they drafted Dak, they didn't know exactly what they had. They've had Cooper Rush for six years. Like, they know what Cooper Rush is about and what he can do. I, I don't know why all of a sudden there's this expectation of, oh, my God, we've had this guy in our practice squad for six years. We had no clue that he could win some games for us. It's a totally, well, completely different situation. Well, let's be honest. They cut him in 2020, right? After they signed Dalton, Andy Dalton, and, and drafted Danucci. Uh, in, in 2021, Garrett Gilbert took all of the first team snaps before the final until the final preseason game, as Dak was battling the shoulder deal. So he was going to be the number two entering that season, uh, not Cooper Rush. And then this off season, I was told they were closing in on a deal to Andy Dalton. Again, before he signed with New Orleans. And, oh, by the way, what did we hear in the middle part of the training camp? You know, Will Greer can really be this team's backup quarterback. So, you know, it wasn't like the Cowboys were like, hey, we're good at backup quarterback. We got Cooper Rush. And, and again, the kid's done phenomenally well. I'm not saying that, you know. But, again, they've not scored more than 25 points in the game. At some point this season, maybe even this week against Philadelphia, they're going to have to score more than 25 points because – the defense eventually is going to give up two touchdowns in a game. Maybe. maybe. Now, what Cooper Rush has done, <laughs> maybe. Shut up. Now, what Cooper Rush has done really well, and some of it is circumstance, but he's not turned the ball over. I think he's up to like 150 something passes without an intercept since his last interception against Minnesota. Yeah. I, I, I just don't, I don't think there's, I, I, I don't think like oftentimes like the eye test can fool you and things, and you don't really trust the eye test. But I think the eye test tells you when Dak's back, Dak is the quarterback. And I don't even know. Like, yes, Jerry said what he said after the injury, but he was basically saying it would be great to have that debate because that means we won games. Well, now they're winning the game, but I don't think there's a real debate. Or should be a real debate. No, I I would agree with that. I would hope not. I mean, and again, we're talking about it. They're five games into the season, and they they haven't even had a 1,000 yards passing yet. I mean... (laughs) I, I, how do I don't know? It blows my mind that people. Just, I, it's and granted, I don't know that Dak comes back and the offense is super explosive or anything, 
But I would imagine they're probably going to complete more than 10 passes in a game when Dak comes back. I don't know. You would think they you would think they would and you think they would throw more than 16 right. passes in a game. And and look, you know, there were two big drops in that game by by Gallup and CD that would have uh, theoretically allowed them more opportunities in the past game as well and would have bumped that number up. But you can also say, you know, in other games, well, about the interceptions, well, one interception or two interceptions were called back because of penalties and there were other drop passes by the defense. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, that happens every quarterback. So this is, again, this isn't a slam of Cooper Rush in any stretch of the imagination. Like, make your, commit to him as the backup. Find him. Like, hey, take care of that issue you're going to have going forward and, and try and work out something now. But realize who he is and, and what he is and what Dak is. So, um, but again, the, the pass offense should be better, but is it going to go from whatever it's ranked now to what it was last year? No, it's just because that's not how they're going to play. I think they're going to, they found they're, they're going to be a defensive oriented or defensive mandated team. I think that's what McCarthy said on, on Monday and how they approach it. They're not going to, unless they have to, they're not going to chuck it 60 times a game. Now, what do you think? Because I, I saw that the other day, and I think I tweeted out, like, this is what a head coach is supposed to do. Um, how much do you think McCarthy went to Moore and said, hey, bro, we just got to tone it down, dog. This is not the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, isn't that what a head coach is supposed to do and, and, and be the CEO? And, 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 you know, we can you can't draw, well, they threw it so much against Tampa, so now they're just feeding us a line. And, yeah, they ran the ball well against Tampa certainly much better than they did in last year's season opener. Maybe they should have run it more, but I, I don't. I wouldn't draw any conclusions off of three and a half quarters of Dak to say this is what that offense was going to be. Um, I think now, I think they'll have a better chance to make big plays in the passing game when when he comes back. But again, I don't think you're going to see this turn into what this offense was the first half of last season, or maybe before he hurt his calf when they could just overcome their own mistakes because they're just so talented on the outside and can make plays with Cedric Wilson, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, T.D. Lamb, Dalton Schultz. Like, no, the, the structure of this year's team is, is just different. And, and I think we were going to see that kind of philosophy going forward this year, whether Dak got hurt or not. I don't think you're going to see Dak throw 37 touchdown passes or – what did he throw last year? Forty six hundred yards or whatever it was. I don't. I don't think that was yeah. going to be the team's, uh, um, you know, path to success. So, do you think they're going to get it done on Sunday night in Philadelphia? Can they keep the win streak alive? And that's. I, I don't want to say yes because you just don't want to be viewed as oh, you're just a freaking homer, you, you know. But like, I can look at it and say, okay, the Cowboys can match up with those receivers fairly well. Their pass rush is really good. This is a total strength versus strength of Cowboys D-line versus Eagles O-line. You know, the the Eagles defense is really good too now. I mean, you know, my counterpart in Philly, Tim McManus, we got a deal coming out tomorrow about uh, both team strengths and how you describe what's going on. And I mean, the the Eagles defense is fourth in yards, seventh in points. They got 17 sacks. They're allowing 4.69 yards per play. Cowboys allowing 4.7 yards per play. Eagles have six picks, five fumble recoveries. I mean, they're doing a lot of good things too. I usually look at all these NFC East games and say first to 20 wins. 
and I might stick to that. <laughs> Whoever gets the twenty points first is going to win this one. I think. Um, I think before I go and do all my deep research, y'all know how, how oh, deep I go. Oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I give the I give the Eagles an edge just because I still haven't seen the Cowboys offense really do anything, and I think uh, the Eagles will score just a little bit, and I, I just the Cowboys just haven't done much with Cooper at quarterback uh, offensively. Um, they haven't made mistakes, but they haven't really scored. I think right. they had and, seven and, touchdowns in four games, and that just you know that ain't really right. gonna get it done. And, and what they've done is in the three games that the last three games. When they've fallen behind, the next drive they've gone and scored a touchdown to take the lead back again. That that that's pretty impressive from an offense that has been what's the limited? I don't know. Uh, yes, you know, yeah. efficient. You know, um, so that that's been good. And yeah, if if they fall behind by two scores, a are you in a situation where you can stick to that game plan that you've had the last couple of weeks? Um, and B, if you can't, can they make enough plays on the outside against what the Eagles have outside and what the Eagles pass rush is? You know, that's why I would probably favor the Eagles this week as well. But if the Cowboys win, it really wouldn't shock me. And then all of a sudden you have to start rethinking everything you thought, what the season could be. Because I don't think anybody would have said, oh, the Cowboys are going to be one of the best teams in the NFC. And then certainly add in the no Dak factor for five straight games. So, in I mean, and then after Philly, you got Detroit and Chicago on the box. So then you all of a sudden you're staring at if they were to win that one, you're staring at seven and one going to Green Bay. What in the world? What are we? Why am I even talking about this stuff? Might as well. It's happening. I don't normally get involved in that, but I was telling Matt um, if now that they're at four wins. You can look at the schedule, and if you play that game, you can go. You can see how they can get to ten or eleven without a lot of stress if they just beat the teams that they should beat. Um, let alone right. if they if they win another that they shouldn't. Now along the way, everybody everybody pulls a clunker every year, so they'll lose to somebody. And we'll go, how the hell did that happen? Right. Um, but you know they'll also probably beat somebody else this year, and we'll go, well sh- shit, how did how did they how did they pull that one off? Uh, and it's a little bit. We did that in 2003 in Parcells' first year, and they were they went they won five games in a row after losing the opener. And all of a sudden, it's like, right. oh, it's just a math equation. By then, how yeah, are you going to make tough. the playoffs? Yeah. So I had a what I thought was a good stat. This is the 40, 34th time, 34th season in which they've had a winning streak of four games or more. And the previous 33 times they've done it, they've made the playoffs 31 times. The only times they didn't were 2011 and 1990. Wow. Well, there so you go. There's a hell pretty, of a stat right there. That's a pretty good indicator that this is this should be a playoff season uh, when you have a four-game win streak. I'm taking no, it. You're right. I told you, man. Super Bowl. Here we come. Well, no, we said playoffs. We didn't say anything about the Super Bowl. <laughs> no? Why not? Why not take it to that level? <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go there. <laughs> All right, Todd. As always, man, we appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. All right, see you. Bye, All right, brother. All right, there he is. Todd Archer, our ESPN Cowboys insider. Always nice to chat with him and get his insight. What a stat that is, man. And, you know, when you talk about the Cowboys and their pass or their lack of, just to paint the picture with the Cooper Rush thing, 
there are only five offenses in the NFL through five games that have fewer passing yards than the Dallas Cowboys. That would be the Panthers, the Titans, the Falcons, the Giants, and the Bears. And I don't think any of us are exactly thrilled about pretty much any of those quarterbacks. Maybe Justin Fields because he doesn't have a lot to work with. But outside of that, I mean, that, that, and the Texans are in that class too. They actually have more than what the Cowboys have. So that just kind of gives you an idea of what this pass offense is. Well, you know, I've been saying this from the start. It's, it's just not explosive. And to me, that's the biggest, that's the biggest deal. And now they're getting some of it back with Michael Gallup. But you just got to have big plays, man, in the offense to really score points. And when you don't have those big plays, those 20-yard gains, those 15-yard runs, it's just really, really, really hard to consistently go up and down the field against NFL defenses. You need those big plays so you can have, you know, six plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Every drive can't be 14 plays, 80 yards. It just don't work like that. Always good to talk to Todd and always good to talk to all of you. So thanks for being a part of this episode. We will be back, of course, with another episode dropping on Friday, taking a look ahead. Cowboys, Eagles, Sunday night football, 4-1 and one against 5-0. and oh. Doesn't get much better than that, especially in this rivalry at this point in the season. So very much looking forward to looking ahead, and we will do that on the next episode. Continue letting everybody know about us. We appreciate you guys, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.